Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a mini water cooler episode and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film News Editor, Bartram Bowie. Hey, everyone. All right, Ishi, let's talk about what we've been doing. It was Halloween this past weekend. Did you have a good Halloween? I did. I had a very chill Halloween. I didn't even have uh, a costume planned. I basically threw together... <laughs> nothing. I had like, <laughs> I had cat ears from when I went to a screening of cats and they gave out cat, free cat ears and alcohol because they knew exactly what kind of movie they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kept those cat ears and I basically wore those and I was like, I'm, I'm a, um, oh, what are the cats called in cats? What kind oh, of cats a, a jellical cat? I'm a jellical cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I, I had, uh, you know, it was relatively low key. I, I went to, uh, visit my, uh, little nieces and nephews, and they all did. They're, they're all like under the age of five, um, so they are very cute and doing trick or treating. Uh, you know, so one of them still an infant, um, and they're they're all just like little toddlers running around and dressed up as you know fairy princesses and things like that. So, uh, I uh, Disney actually they're they're doing something called I think Hallow Scream or Hallow Stream maybe it was mm. for Disney Plus. They like sent me some little package thing in the mail and it came with like a full body uh, skeleton costume where you can like step. It's like a jumpsuit that looks like a skeleton. Oh, that's so I was fun. like, sweet, thanks Disney. There's my Halloween costume because I normally don't really put a ton of effort effort into. Halloween stuff, especially, you know, in the pandemic era, because like we haven't really been doing anything. But thankfully, this was uh, this was a good, you know, a good year to the weather was good, able to go outside and just like hang out in my in-laws driveway. And they had like a little projector set up and they were watching movies and stuff on on the wall. So trick-or-treaters were coming up and uh, got to see everybody in their costumes and all that typical like suburban fun, low-key Halloween. So um, you actually had a chance, I saw on your Instagram, had a, a chance to do something that um, seemed a little bit more spooky than that. Tell me about that. Yeah, I went to do a tour of a spooky Victorian house. It wasn't really that spooky. It was just a, a, a Victorian house tour that was like in the evening on Halloween. Oh, 
Saturday night, so the night before Halloween. So I did a tour of Lynnhurst Mansion, which is in Tarrytown, New York, a uh, little bit upstate, but um, it's this uh, you know Victorian mansion, and they they did a special Halloween themed tour where they took you through the house, but also spoke about the the spiritualism that was quite prevalent um, in Victorian times and sort of that obsession with death and, you know, death photography and those kind of things. Like, have you seen those pictures of, of Victorian era photographs of like dead children that are propped up uh, in photos? Um, I'm, I'm picturing like the, uh, the knickknacks on the wall of a cracker barrel or something, just like oh those ancient looking things. But I, I don't think I've seen like specifically what you're talking about, but I, I have might you, have. Well, have you heard of this, this practice? It was this very common practice apparently, uh, in Victorian times where, you know, photography was still a fairly new technology, um, but was still much more readily available than, than paintings, for example. And it was the only way to memorialize, uh, people uh after they had passed and they would often have like death photography was like a whole genre of photography that was very very popular where if once someone passes they will prop up their bodies as if they're alive and like take pictures of them no i i definitely have not heard of this and and as far as i know cracker barrel doesn't have any body (laughs) any photos of actual corpses so i'm thinking of something totally different (laughs) they're not cracker barrel photos but yeah there's i feel like it it goes around every now and then but there's always like these these photos of like dead children that are like dressed uh in their sunday best and they're obviously dead like dead babies and stuff but they are propped up as if they're alive and some of them even have like their eyes sort of you know open or they have like painted on their eyes like eyes on their eyelids (laughs) and apparently it was like a way of memorializing the dead it wasn't seen as like as morbid and gruesome as we think of it now but Mm -hmm. yeah this tour was all about that kind of stuff and spiritualism and how you know every rich family would have seances every now and then. And it was a very common thing, even if they were churchgoers or whatever. So it was very fascinating, a lot of fun, very interesting, beautiful house, um, mansion, I must say. So yeah, it was a nice little like low key thing and really, um, informative thing to be doing on Halloween night. I did not go to any parties. I just went to a tour of a Victorian house. <laughs> That's really cool though, man. That sounds like a, a cool experience. So um, yeah, it sounds like you would recommend that. I, I don't know. Would you recommend that um, in a non-Halloween context? I think? Yeah, I would recommend it even in a non-Halloween context. I don't know what the tour is like outside of Halloween. I don't think they will go as deep into like the spiritualism and death stuff, but um, mm-hmm. still a very good tour. Cool. All right. So let's get into what we've been watching. I had a chance to see Netflix's new movie, Red Notice. I'm supposed to be interviewing uh, Hiram Garcia, one of the producers, uh, I think tomorrow. So I had a chance to see this movie a little bit early. I think it comes out on Netflix next Friday, if I'm not mistaken, yes. the November 12th. Um, and uh, I, I've seen some mixed reviews about this. Uh, Chris Evangelista wrote a review for SlashFilm.com. And he really did not like this movie very much. Um, he said it, it's not like an abomination, but he he was not impressed with it. And I found myself liking it more than he did and and kind of um, thinking that this might be like The Rock's best movie in several years, which, really, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of damning with faint praise because The Rock has not really made a ton of great movies recently. Um, but, you know, my expectations for this were very low because Ross and Marshall Thurber is the director of this and he's the guy who directed... Central Intelligence, the the Rock and Kevin Hart movie from 2015, which I really did not care for at all. He also directed Skyscraper, which I kind of was just, 
you know, that's not a good movie. Um, so this movie, Red Notice, is The Rock. It's uh, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot all together. And it's like this sort of heist movie, a thriller, action chase kind of romance type of thing. It's, I think, Netflix's most expensive movie ever. Uh, it costs like somewhere in the, the range of $200 million. And, um, you know, all of those factors... I, I was not really expecting much from this movie. And I thought it ended up being, uh, you know, pretty pleasant, pretty enjoyable. I think, um, you know, I, I Chris in his review says, like, we should demand more, even from sort of like mindless entertainment like this. And I agree with him on that point. But I, I think this, you know, especially for people who are not movie critics, people who just, uh, you know, throw stuff on in the background on on the weekend or or whatever. Just want to like chill out and watch a, a good like expensive uh, movie with a, a bunch of movie stars in it. I think this is going to satisfy a lot of people. I would not be surprised if Netflix releases stats that say that Red Notice is like their most watched movie ever. Um, and and I would actually believe it uh, if that happens because the the attraction, the draw of all three of these people is, is very very strong, um, and the movie itself is not bad. I mean it's 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 a little predictable. It's a little uh, derivative. It's very derivative. It's like very um, you know <laughs> once you when you're watching it, if you've seen let's say 50 movies in your life, you'll probably be able to tell exactly how this is going to go. Um, <laughs> but I think the execution is like mostly pretty good. And the thing I think that that makes it a good uh, rock movie in comparison with some of this other, you know, the, the other things that he's been making recently is that it doesn't try to make him look and seem like the coolest guy in the room all the time. It doesn't have that sort of sweaty desperation that a lot of his movies have had recently. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think the, uh, the sort of buddy comedy banter that is really prevalent all throughout this movie, really between him and Ryan Reynolds is is relatively well done. I mean, there's there are a few lines that are sort of you still roll your eyes a little bit, but especially in comparison to something like Hobbs and Shaw, which I just despised, even though I'm a massive fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. I think the Hobbs and Shaw banter is a great example of how to do that terribly, where like they're constantly trying to tear each other down. Those characters, Hobbs and Shaw, are constantly trying to tear each other down and like put each other down in quote unquote funny ways that are just to me, not very funny at all. Uh, and this movie is much more uh, sort of light on its feet and it's not really insult based, which, you know, I'm fine with like good insult stuff as long as it's funny, but Hobson Shaw, I think is just a particularly bad example of that, um, of it not being funny, but uh, red notice, I think, yeah, it has a, a totally different tone than those kinds of films. It still feels like very much in Dwayne Johnson's lane that, you know, that sort of, uh, mainstream appeal action lane, but I think it's it's a pretty well done movie. So, uh, yeah, Red Notice coming out soon on Netflix. I'm curious to see sort of what what the uh, the wider response to this movie is, and if I know a lot of people will inevitably end up watching it. I'm just curious to see if a lot of people end up liking it. So. I have to be honest, I'm probably going to skip this one. I just realized as you're talking, like, have I watched any Dwayne Johnson movies recently? Because I haven't watched Jungle Cruise. And I think I heard, like, okay things about that one, but I can't Uh, remember. No, you weren't a fan. I mean, it's not very good, no. (laughs) I I didn't think so. Uh, This, is is, I would say, is better than Jungle Cruise. So if you're going to watch one of the two, I would definitely watch this instead. But Uh, I'll just go with neither. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, totally understandable. 
okay, so the only other thing that I wanted to talk about is I caught up with John Carpenter's Christine. Have you ever seen this movie from 1983? I haven't, no. Okay. So this is the movie that is based on a Stephen King story, and it's the movie about the killer car, basically, is the really easy way to uh, to describe it. So it's sort of the the pitch. It's about this this sort of nerdy high school kid who buys this old 1958 Plymouth Fury that that is nicknamed Christine and it's all broken down and everything and uh the car essentially like comes to life and starts killing people and it sort of gives this kid um the the confidence that he lacked as the sort of high school nerd he like transforms into like a almost like a Danny Zuko-esque greaser type of figure who just like becomes a, a total um like a total asshole, like an arrogant, uh, kind of a prick. Um, and you know, there are these bullies that are messing with him and he ends up, uh, he and the car, Christine end up sort of exacting revenge. And it's, it's all about, um, this kid's big transformation and and his best friend, who's like this, uh, well-meaning sort of, uh, jock character and, the nerd's girlfriend teaming up to try to to save the soul of their friend uh, who's been corrupted by this almost like uh, satanic car almost. It's like seems to be possessed by some sort of supernatural entity. The movie never really gets into why the car is uh, is the embodiment of pure evil, um, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, it, it doesn't really need to... Um, you know, weigh itself down with like dense mythology or anything. It's just sort of the opening of the movie is like the film on the, or I'm sorry, the, the car on the assembly line. And it, it, uh, it quote unquote murders two of the, the assembly workers. So it's like the, the movie is saying like, yes, this car has been evil from the moment that it was, that it was, uh, you know, created, I guess. Um, so I like, that. I like when movies don't have to, don't feel the need to explain things. We're like, it's just evil and that's fine. Yeah. You don't need like a, a prequel comic book that explains everything or, or anything Yeah. Like it that, was, so. you know, it was trying to get to a planet and uh, it was Solo. So, so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So they just named him Solo. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I will never get over that. I don't think. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Christine, I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's uh, it's middling in terms of John Carpenter's filmography, especially that run, that like uh, eleven movie run that he had from Assault on Precinct Thirteen all the way up through uh, like uh, you know post Prince of Darkness and and uh, post The Thing and and all of that. Like he had this that stretch that is just sort of unreal. So um, I you know it's not one of my favorite John Carpenter movies, but it's it's uh, there's some really cool imagery in this movie, um, and it's it's relatively short. So I think uh, if you're like just looking to, to be a carpenter completist or something, um, you probably won't have a bad time watching Christine. So I know that's not like a, a super ringing endorsement, but uh, there's that. And then I just wanted to mention this one thing, HT. So I, I was looking to watch this movie because I'd never seen it. And I've, uh, I'm listening to a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Do you know this podcast? Have you heard it? I do. I do know of it. I actually haven't listened to a lot of episodes, but I know of like the circle of people who revolve around Blank Check. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, they all often have like great guests, um, journalists and people in the, the film Twitter sphere. And it's a really good podcast. And they're doing all of John Carpenter's filmography. And, and they talked about this movie a little while ago um, with the folks from the King cast. And so I wanted to listen to this episode. I wanted to watch the movie first. And typically when I want to watch something, I'll just go to this website called justwatch.com that, that tells you where movies are streaming. And I found out that this movie Christine was streaming on like a direct TV stream, which is the, uh, 
the cable package that I have. So I just searched for it on there and it said like, oh, you can watch this sort of via AMC, but like on demand basically through my cable package. Um, so AMC, the the cable channel, uh, I guess had aired the movie within, let's call it a couple weeks or whatever it was. So it was like easily accessible and I could just play it for free. And I didn't have to pay for it to rent it or whatever. So after I finished watching the movie, I listened to this podcast episode and they're talking about a scene from the movie that that I did not see in the AMC version. And I, it didn't say in the beginning of, you know, when I clicked play on this, it didn't have that that warning that pops up sometimes where it's like this film has been edited for content and, you know, to fit your TV screen or whatever the, the old warning message used to be. So I thought I was watching like the full movie on TV and that is evidently not what happened. Uh, so I'm not going to be watching movies on AMC anymore. So I just wanted to sort of give that as like a public services, uh, announcement because there were, it sounded like there were several moments that were cut out of this cable version that I watched, uh, that I just, um, yeah, totally missed out on and had, would not have had any idea that I, I missed anything. So, uh, you know, this may be like common knowledge to some people, but, um, I, I didn't really check the rating of Christine beforehand. Sometimes, you know, uh, even if a movie is rated R, you can find an uncut version of it on cable if it airs, I guess, late enough at night or something like that. Um, but yeah, just this uh, this particular set of circumstances resulted in uh, me watching an edited version unaware. So uh, I just wanted to let people know about that. So. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, a little weird. Um, not my favorite thing. Cause now I feel like I didn't really, I feel like I saw 95% of the movie and I don't really want to rewatch it, like rent it and rewatch it because I probably didn't miss that much. But um, yeah, one of those weird things. So anyway, uh, what have you been watching, HD? I saw Encanto, the new Disney animated musical that has music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I don't know why I had like zero expectations going into it, um, but I did not really think much of it. But when I saw it, I thought that this was uh, one of the... Oh, I don't want to make any definitive statements. Hold on. (laughs) Uh, One of the better like Disney movies. I mean, Disney has been on a pretty hot streak, actually. So maybe this is a bad statement to make. It's great, is what I mean to say. (laughs) It really manages to capture that old school Disney awe that I, I look for in a Disney animated musical. And I think it's really on par with like Lin-Manuel Miranda's work in Moana, as well as what Moana does, which is it does that, that um, it captures that wonder, I think, that you have when watching a Disney animated musical, that, that childish wonder that you have, you experience as a child, but don't really experience as much anymore. And I think Encanto really does capture that. So hmm. Encanto is the story of a family, the Madrigal family, who um, when their grandmother was young, she had fled this sort of her town uh, out of fear of these revolutionaries that were like burning up and, um, you know, killing people. And she had, uh, her husband had died in the process and through his death, a miracle was born, which was this candle that seemed to burn forever and gives her her uh, descendants, her children, and her grandchildren special powers. And through this, they they have a house that has, like, you know, special powers as well. And um, a village, like, springs up around them, and they have become sort of like this paragon uh, within this village that everyone looks up to for guidance and everything because they uh, have to use this miracle for good use. 
And it's basically <laughs> Ben, have you ever read A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez? I have not. So that is a staple of magical realist literature uh, from Latin America. Magical realism, uh, you guys probably heard me talk about this literary genre, this genre in general before, but it's this kind of fantasy genre in which the mundane, uh, in which magic is basically mundane. It's just a part of the fabric of that life. And strange things happen, but no one really blinks an eye. And A Hundred Years Solitude was basically like a cornerstone of magical realism. It it has a sort of similar plot to Encanto. Um, A family leaves because of political turmoil and they set up this village that is isolated from the rest of the world. Um, And strange things happen in this village, but it's part of the magic of it. Um, Except, you know, Disney has basically follows that with Encanto, except, you know, without the the tragedy and death and incest that happens in 100 Years of Solitude. It just, <laughs> when I was watching Encanto, I was like, this is really funny because it's basically someone was, was like, how do I make a Disney animated musical out of 100 Years of Solitude? Mm-hmm. Anyways, a reference that only a few people will understand, but that's basically what Encanto is, but it's it still has that Disney magic. While being a magical realist tale, which I found really, really interesting and exciting. Um, the music by Lynn Man Miranda is so great and energetic, and the sequences that uh, these musical se- musical numbers happen in uh, are really t- making the most of the animated genre of the animated medium. Uh, they're really, really colorful and vibrant, and just so imaginative. It's it's um, wonderful to watch. And one of my one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that. It's it deals with some more uh, complex issues uh, uh, than like you would expect in a Disney movie. There isn't really a villain. It deals more with with family and the kind of dynamics within family and how that can sometimes lead things to fracture. So it's a really excellent film. That's Encanto, and it will be coming out. At some point, I have the date. <laughs> November 24th, it November looks like. November 24th, exactly. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about the um, the inevitable Coco comparison mm-hmm. because, you know, these two movies are, uh, I guess, produced by Disney. I think Coco is technically Pixar, but um, they're both like set in South American countries and they have that sort of magical realist uh, bent to them. So how would you compare this to Coco? Because I'm sure some people are going to be making that comparison even well, you know, Kanto, just from the trailer. Well, Encanto is set in Colombia as opposed to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I I can't um, pretend to be an expert in Colombian culture, but I think it does – it has a very – has a specificity to it in terms of that Colombian culture and homage. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the story is very different from from Coco, uh, despite similar elements and similar similar sort of culturally diverse um, like roots. Mm-hmm. I just I think there's something that I'm <laughs> I think I, I would go too long into if I were to talk about it. But the difference between a Disney and Pixar film, uh, for example, is that Disney films uh, are about sort of that awe and wonder, and Pixar is about turning that awe and wonder into something tangible. Hmm. If that makes sense. So like in Coco, for example, the afterlife is a bureaucratic sort of, you know, yeah. office, that kind of thing. And that's something that Pixar does really well. And that isn't, you know, lesser or better than what Disney does. But what I like about Disney movies is that they don't go, like kind of what we were going to explain before, they don't go in, into trying to explain what the magic is from. It just exists. Whereas Coco is about 
not Coco, where Pixar is about, you know, explaining, but that doesn't make it any worse. It's just different approaches. Hey, I, I smell an editorial uh, <laughs> article here. This sounds like something that I would love to read more of your thoughts about. So maybe oh, you yeah. could cook something up. Yeah, maybe you'll write, you'll see an essay pop up on slashfilm.com <laughs> at some point. Uh, awesome. All right. So what else have you been watching? Uh, I also have been watching new episodes of Doctor Who and Young Justice, two shows that I really enjoy and that I don't think a lot of people would really enjoy, so I can't, you know, widely recommend them. (laughs) But for Doctor Who, you know, if you like campy, kitschy, cheesy sci-fi, always, it's always a good time. Also, check out my podcast, Check Through Time and Space. And Young Justice, uh, underrated DC animated show in general. Most of the people are like, oh, it's about the sidekicks. It must be just Teen Titans Redux. It's not. It's, I won't say it's better because I love Teen Titans, but it's very different and it's very good. So that's what I've been watching. So, man, I, I think this is the first time, I'm, first time that I've heard you uh, compare Young Justice so... Um, so uh, uh, favorably to Teen Titans. So uh, did I, I mean, oh, did I not I, say that last time? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of a different show. But uh, am I thinking of the? Oh, oh, you know what it is? I was thinking of Titans, the um, mm. <laughs> the, the uh, fuck Batman show. Yes, I think that's what that one's called. I uh, would definitely uh, compare Young Justice favorably favorably to Titans. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. All right. So. So what's been going on in the in the world of Young Justice recently? Where are, are you completely caught up? Like, is, are there new episodes that are airing all the time right now? Like, yeah, new is episodes it in are airing now. Uh, the, I watched the first, I think, four episodes on HBO Max, and it's currently airing on HBO Max uh, exclusively, streaming exclusively there. And they're releasing an episode a week. And I haven't watched the, the newest episode, but um, it, it's it's gotten quite – there's a lot of cosmic alien stuff right now. And um, – yeah, last season, Young Justice Outsiders was incredible. This season hasn't quite gotten to that level yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. That's all I can really say. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about some of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Hopefully we'll dive back into the mailbag sometime soon. Uh, Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.